0: Howdy, folks. Welcome to the Rebel at Large Patreon Exclusives. I'm Drifter.
1: And I'm Gypsy.
0: Talking about the finer details of ghost towns,
1: graveyards,
0: outlaws, heroes,
1: and ladies of the night.
0: And whatever else we find interesting on the road.
1: Yes, and we cannot thank you guys enough for supporting our show and to help keep us on the road. Absolutely. So in episode 45, where we talked about George Flavel, we told you we would do another episode on his only son and his only child that went on to carry the family name, George Conrad Flavel. His son was born on January 11th, 1855. His first name comes from his father and his middle name comes from his grandfather. He was the couple's first child and only son He attended Astoria Public School until he was 16 years old when he was sent to the Oakland Military Academy near San Francisco in 1871. After one year in military school, he enrolled at Santa Clara College, also in California. In 1873, he boarded the Whistler and set sail for Bolivia. Two years later, he boarded the ship La Escocesa, headed for Europe, and returned home on the Ajax. It is thought that George did not board the La Escocesa on his own, but rather he was Shanghai. According to J. R. Irving, who spent considerable time at sea and was interviewed for the WPA by Sarah B. Wren at Portland in 1939 about his life in the 1870s, he said.
0: "Them was the days of Shanghai and two, Jim Turk and the Grandpoys and Larry Sullivan. They was in cahoots with the sailor board and noses, and some of them, they run too. Shanghai wasn't so bad at sometimes. I remember old Favell, he's no good, just spoiled with money. So the old man got Jim Turk to Shanghai him. He was out at sea about a year, and after he got back home, he behaved himself pretty good.
1: (laughs) You did a good job there. (laughs) It was hard for me to to not start laughing in the middle of that. (laughs) We nailed it. Yeah. We should put, like, um, if we were doing a video this, week, we could put closed captionings of what you just said. Like, I don't know what this guy's saying.
0: Translated.
1: <laughs> so, whether he was shanghai or he made the choice to go on his own, when he arrived back to Astoria, he began working for his father as a captain of a tugboat and piloted the bar, followed in his dad's footsteps there. Mm-hmm. On June 5th, 1879, he was married to Winona C. Callender at her parents' house, Mr. and Mrs. Melville Philo-Calendar of Napton, Washington.
0: The two of them met through joint family relationships. Her father was Asa Simpson's manager of the Napton Sawmill. Asa Simpson, like we said before in the episode about his father, Asa was Captain George Flavel's partner in the bar piloting business.
1: For the wedding, Conrad Bowling, his grandpa, gave them a house— that's a pretty awesome wedding present. Yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> the house is located on the northeast corner of 8th and Grand in Astoria. The house still stands today, and the address is 818 Grant Avenue. So it is a private residence, but the house is on the National Register of Historic Places.
0: On May 5th of 1886, the couple welcomed their only child, Harry Melville Flavelle. After Captain Flavel passed away, George went on to manage the family's extensive property interests. He also became the vice president of the First National Bank of Astoria, which, if we remember, Captain George Flavel was a president until he passed away.
1: Yep, yep. In 1900, George and Winona spent a year in Portland where Harry was attending school at Portland Academy. The next year, they moved back to Astoria, and on June 7, 1901, George Conrad purchased a pioneer homestead on the southeast corner of 15th and Franklin Street. He had Joseph W. Soprano build him a magnificent two-story colonial revival-style house with stained-glass windows and intricately carved wooden pillars the house was positioned in a way that it has amazing views of the Columbia River.
0: By 1904, Harry was back in Portland attending Portland Academy again and graduated from there in 1906. At the age of 18, Harry and Flavelle married Elizabeth A. Patrician on October 9, 1908. The two were married at Harry's aunt and uncle's house, Mr. and Mrs. Charles H. Callender. The two of them had three children, George Edward Flavel in 1911, Patricia Jen Flavel in 1912, and Virginia Southworth Flavel in 1914.
1: The marriage would not last long, and Harry and Elizabeth were divorced in 1916. Elizabeth went to California and took Virginia with her. The other two children, George and Patricia, stayed with their father in Astoria. Nellie Flavelle and Patricia became great friends as they grew up. Nellie was visiting her in New York when she passed away, and Patricia is the one who inherited the Flavelle mansion we talked about.
0: Mm. Well, Harry did stay connected with the family business, but in a different fashion. During World War I, he worked as a timekeeper in Wilson's shipyard. After the war ended, he was assigned to an officer's training camp in Texas. In 1919, Harry started working with the Napton Towboat Company, which had consolidated with his grandfather's company, Calendar Navigation. In September 1920, Virginia returned to Astoria and lived with the family.
1: On February 18, 1923, George Conrad Favel passed away from bronchial pneumonia at the age of 67. His wife, Winona, stayed living in the house until she passed away on December 7, 1944. Harry inherited the house from his father, and he moved back into the house after he passed away in 1924. So now he's living with his mom mm-hmm. in this house. Okay. With the passing of George, Harry assumed his father's position as vice president of the First National Bank of Astoria and the family's property management duties.
0: Harry was remarried on June 7, 1924 to Miss Florence Sherman at her parents' house in Eugene, Oregon. In 1926, Harry was elected president of the First National Bank of Astoria until 1933 when the bank became a branch of the First National Bank of Portland. Harry and Florence had two children, Mary Louise, who went by Sissy, in 1925, and Harry Sherman, who went by Buddy, in 1927.
1: Harry and his new family lived in the house together until he passed away on October 26, 1951 at the house. Fred Meyer, the man who founded the Fred Meyer store, was one of his pallbearers. Thought that yeah, was fun.
0: That's pretty crazy. Fred Meyer's is still big out there in Oregon, not so much here in Utah. But
1: yeah, I only remember having like a few Fred Meyers here, and I think they're all closed down now. Yeah,
0: we just have the jewelers, Fred Meyer jewelry stores now. I
1: think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but out in Portland, they're like bigger than Walmart's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're crazy. He passed away the same year the Flavel Mansion was established as a museum and opened to the public for tours. After Harry passed away, his wife Florence and the two children, Mary and Harry, lived in the house on 15th and Franklin.
0: So Rumors began to spread around Astoria that Mary and Harry were upset that they didn't own the Flavel Mansion and felt that they were the rightful owners and not Clatsop County. If you remember, when Nellie passed away, the house was given to Patricia, who in turn gifted it to Astoria, only to have Astoria give it back to her. She then gifted the house to Clatsop County, and it was later turned into a museum.
1: So you have these two kids, Mary and Harry, who are the great-grandchildren of Captain George Flavell, who built the house. Their older stepsister, Patricia, gave the house to Clatsop County in 1934. Mary would have been 11 at this time, and Harry would have been about 7. There is no way these two children could have stepped up and took care of the house at this time, nor was the house in great shape. When the county inherited the house, it had been vacant for some time, plaster was falling off the walls, windows were broken, and the roof was leaking. It took hundreds of volunteers a year to clean up the house and repair it in order to open it up as a museum. Now that the house is in great shape, the two grandchildren feel their ode to the house. Excuse me. That's a bold thought to have, seeing that they did nothing to help with the repairs, nor did they do anything to keep their great-grandfather's legacy going. And we'll get to that here in a bit.
0: Yeah. Well, another story began making its way around town that Mary and Harry felt that someone had broken into their house while they were away and stole some of their property, only to have it end up in the museum, quite likely. Mm -hmm. So now they're mad that the county has the house and are going so far as to accuse them of stealing property. It gets crazier, and this is why we wanted to talk about the remaining Flavel family after the captain passed away.
1: Yeah. So to retaliate, the family decided that they were no longer going to maintain the city block they owned in town and let it fall into disrepair. This was between 9th and 10th Street, located on the 101 Highway that passerbys would have to drive by and see, leading them to feel like Astoria was a dumpy and unattractive town.
0: Yeah, classy.
1: Yeah. Th- this is your grandfather's town and you're doing this? Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, this is when things start to get even crazier. In 1947, as a water utility worker, or we also read a neighbor named Fred Fulton, mm-hmm. whoever it was, they had heard screams for help coming from the house. He rushed inside and broke down the upstairs bedroom door to help whoever was screaming. Come to find out it was Florence, locked inside the bedroom by her 20-year-old son, Harry. When the man tried to help her, Harry began hacking at the banister with a hatchet and eventually turned the hatchet on the man himself.
1: Harry was arrested and charged with assault. In the courtroom, he claimed that he swung the hatchet in self-defense. His mother and sister defended him, saying that the man was drunk and that she was in the room looking for a misplaced key. Why was she locked in there, though? (laughs) All the charges were dropped, and Harry was let go. Visitors tell of the destroyed banister in the house, and Harry was quickly given the nickname around town of Hatchet Harry.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, Mary, on the other hand, tried to be the social one in the family and interact with the town folk. Though she did not come at someone with a hatchet like her brother, she too had her own run-in with the police when she refused to leave someone's house in town who was having a party. She later left Astoria and went on to New York City, where she managed performers in the opera industry. She eventually did return back to Astoria in the 1970s.
1: Can you imagine having a party and someone won't leave your house and you have to call the cops to get him out? Right, You're like, that was a... Bad invite.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe she wasn't even invited.
1: Yeah, she just shows up. She sees, like, all these cars parked out front of someone's house. (laughs) That just looks like a great time. Uh (laughs) Neighbors complained of gunshots being fired inside the house, particularly on Halloween and New Year's. Apparently, Harry was having quite the party by himself inside the house. Mm-hmm. Another story about Harry and his family is when he decided to walk his mother and sister out of the house in the upstairs balcony one night when he became upset with them. And you can see the balcony. We have pictures of the house. We'll show you in the balconies out front. So mm-hmm. It's a cold night. And rather than let them back inside the house, he began to spray them with a garden hose. <laughs> Classy.
0: Yeah. well, it Sounds like a spoiled, bright.
1: Yep. The neighbors called the cops, and they had to use a ladder to rescue the two women.
0: hmm Nice. Well, in the 1980s, the family hired a crew to repaint the house. The crew had been there working for two weeks, stripping the paint from the house, prepping it for a fresh layer, and they had not been paid a dime up to this point. When they asked for some of the money so they could continue the work, the family refused to pay them. It's unknown if their family didn't have the funds at this time or if they were just being cheap and didn't want to pay them. The crew eventually walked off the job, leaving the house half-scraped of the old paint.
1: Harry was known throughout town to have several dogs. He liked to take in strays and was known to have somewhere between four to six dogs at a time. I have one too many dogs at our house. <laughs> One of the neighbors claimed he stole their dog because he felt they did not walk it enough. The neighbors were too scared to try and get the dog back from him, so he just kept their dog.
0: (laughs) Yeah, nice. Well, things escalated for the family in February 1983. Harry, now in his mid-50s, was out walking his dogs one night. A car driven by 22-year-old Alec Josephson came speeding down the road. Harry decided to take the dog leash and swing the chain at the car. When he made contact, Alec slammed on the brakes and he got out of the car to confront the person. Harry began to run and Alec chased him. As an argument between the two began, the story goes Alec grabbed Harry by the sleeve and demanded he tell him his name so he could call the cops. Rather than tell him his name, Harry pulled a knife out and stabbed Alec in the stomach.
1: Can you imagine driving down the road in the middle of the night and having a dog lease chain hit your car? Right. It'd freak you out. Uh
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, I'd be just as pissed.
1: Yeah, well, and you'd start to wonder if you, like, hit somebody.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and this guy's 50 years old and taken off trying to outrun a 22-year-old kid. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, good luck, buddy. Yeah. Alec did survive his wounds, thankfully, and Harry was arrested. This time, he was facing charges of first-degree assault and attempted murder. If convicted, he could go to prison for 20 years. In 1985, Harry was found guilty of assault but not attempted murder.
0: Even though he stabbed him in the stomach.
1: Yeah, but it's going to be a less charge, Mm -hmm. so he'll still have to spend time in jail, but not the 20 years. Mm -hmm. The family tried everything they could to appeal the charges. Eight appeals in total, but failed. In 1990, he was ordered to appear in court for his sentencing, but he failed to show up. Authorities discovered that Harry, Mary, and Florence had vanished. An elderly neighbor told the police that they watched the family get into their car, along with the dogs, and just drive away, leaving the house abandoned.
0: They go home. <laughs> A year later, Harry shows up again on police records when he was arrested in Pennsylvania for stealing hotel towels.
1: And I thought that was so funny, really, you're uh-huh. stealing towels?
0: Yeah. Well, Harry and the family again vanished, and he didn't show up for his extradition hearing. He was arrested again in Tewksbury, Massachusetts, after a hotel worker reported him to local authorities. This time, he was brought back to Clatsop County, where he spent a year in jail. After his release, he returned back to Massachusetts.
1: Florence, his mother, passed away on February 1, 1994, at the age of 97, at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center in Worcester. Mary and Harry refused to pick up her body, and she was eventually cremated. It's unknown if the children just didn't have the money to pay for their mother or, again, if they were just too cheap.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. Well, after Florence passed away, Mary and Harry returned to Oregon, but not to Astoria this time. They were living down in the Beaverton area just outside of Portland. Mm -hmm. Harry passed away on May thirty first, 2010, and his body was stored at the mortuary in Portland for nine months until he was eventually cremated.
1: Yeah, so they leave mom in the In the hospital, and then his sister leaves him in the mortuary. Mm -hmm. So, The family home, along with all the commercial properties they owned, would continuously come up for forfeiture due to unpaid taxes. Well, somehow the properties were always saved when the funds were paid for by the family trust. At some point, the city was able to gain access inside the house. They placed a tarp over the roof, boarded up the windows, turned off the power, and cleaned up the yard. The city was in for a much bigger surprise when they entered the house. Not only was it falling into disrepair, but they discovered the family had been hoarding for almost 100 years.
0: That's wild. Yeah. Well, the historian reported that they found newspapers and magazines from the past 100 years spread three feet thick over all levels of the home, including the attic, the basement, and the bathrooms. They also found a 1950s-era women's swimsuit hanging in the all-pink bathroom. A nineteen sixties issue of Playboy, self help books, a twelve inch knife, a Valentine's Day card from Mary to Florence were also found. There were still clothes hanging in the closet. They found a dead dog in the fridge, and the banister that Harry had attacked was now gone.
1: He's probably embarrassed of it or something.
0: Or somebody broke it and stole it for part of the Oh yeah. Legend, the lore.
1: Yeah, that's true, huh? Mm-hmm. Maybe one day it'll show up on like a auction thing. Right. <laughs> Rent checks for the commercial properties the Favelles owned went uncashed, and the family's attorney said he had not spoken to Mary and did not know where she was or if she was still alive. In 2011, the city of Astoria initiated proceedings to create a derelict building ordinance, mainly to deal with the Favel properties. This allowed the city to impose a fine for each day that properties were in violation, after they were unable to reach Mary, who was now the sole owner of all the Favelle properties, the city began to put the process of forfeiture to the city into motion. The fines reached a total of $5.6 million. That's insane.
0: Yeah.
1: And if not paid, the city would gain control of everything. Eventually, a deal was made that allowed Mary to sell the properties herself The house that her grandfather built in 1901 on 15th and Franklin was listed for auction in 2015. Greg Neuenhoff won the auction and is in the process of restoring the house.
0: In 2017, the last property the Flavel family owned was sold. This left the Flavel legacy without any stake in the town. It took the family about 166 years to lose everything Captain George Flavel acquired. He put the town of story on the map, only to have his family let it all disappear. Mm-hmm. Mary Flavel passed away on October 20th, 2018, at the age of 92. She was laid to rest in the family plot in Warrington. According to Mary,
1: Life in Astoria was great, unless you were a Flavel.
0: And it might have been your own fault.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: I could see how it would be hard to carry on such a large legacy that your grandfather built, but it's still sad to see what the family did to the house.
1: We stopped by the house when we were in Astoria. No one was there to let us inside, so we walked around outside and just took some pictures. The house has the potential of being a beautiful home once it is restored, but it will take years to do it unless you have just millions to dump into it Mm -hmm. all at once. I hope to still be alive when the house reaches its former glory and would love the chance to go inside once it is completed. As of right now, it looks like Greg Neuenhoff still is the owner. So if he is, we wish him the best of luck.
0: Absolutely. Well, there you have it, folks. A continuation of our trip to Astoria, Oregon, and an interesting history of the <laughs> Flavel family legacy.
1: Yes, and we hope you guys enjoyed this little episode.
0: Yeah, if you did, please share it with some friends. And if you didn't, let us know. Mm-hmm. Give us some feedback. would be yes. fine.
1: Yep. So are we going to do the riddle thing? Because I do my dad jokes.
0: Yeah, all right. (laughs) So here's what I found. This is from my vintage copy of the Exeter riddle book. You ready? Uh Uh-huh. All right. A woman, young and lovely, often locked me into a chest. She took me out at times, lifted me with fair hands, and gave me to her loyal lord, fulfilling his desire. Then he stuck his head well inside me, pushing it upwards into the smallest part. It was my fate, adorned as I was, to be filled with something rough if that person who possessed me was viral enough. Now guess what I mean.
1: I am thinking that it's a king and it's his crown in the box and he's putting it on.
0: Yeah, not a bad guess.
1: That was my first thought.
0: Yeah, what else do you have? I don't know. Well, in there it says possibly a helmet.
1: Okay.
0: uh, Or possibly a kirtle, which would be a woman's gown or a petticoat. But I wouldn't go that far because it was talking about his head well inside me. So, And then the innuendo answer obviously is vagine.
1: I was thinking that. (laughs) <laughs> but then i was like no this is an old book they're not gonna say bad things like that <laughs>
0: of course they are
1: <laughs> okay that's funny <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right well there's your break from the dad jokes folks
1: <laughs> A vagine. <laughs> well, we are truly grateful for your support of the Rebel at Large podcast.
0: Absolutely. Yep, like I said before, let us know what you think.
1: Yeah, we'd love to hear from you.
0: If you're not already doing so, follow along on the Instagram, which is where we're still the most active in the social media world. I'm yeah. trying to get a little better. but
1: Yep, and this is at Rebel at Large.
0: Of course, the website is
1: rebelatlarge.com, where there are links to our new merch store, Mm -hmm. email, and other social deals.
0: Yeah, we appreciate all the uh, purchases on the merchandise store, too. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, thanks again, folks.
1: Safe travels.
0: We'll see you all down the road.
1: I said it wrong again. Say the name again. Damn it, Melville. Say that guy's name again. Did that make sense to you? Hmm. Okay. Hey. They probably should have shanged Hyde Harry. For <laughs> forfeit for for Forfeiture, right? And I said forfeiture, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. They placed a tarp over the rope. Roop. Delete this because I'm sorry, I thought we were at the end.